This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Don Dickinson is here with a preview of Voices of the Walrus. Don is the producer of that show, which airs weekends at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Don. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm pretty good. I love your comment about save more money at Christmas, have less friends. I just think that's excellent, you know. Just get rid of those people. It's very easy for me to do, Don, because I'm a very abrasive person. I'm just shedding people left, right, and center. It's the way I operate. And we'll have that uh, we'll have that segment coming up after Don with Aaron Broverman. He's going to have some tips on uh, how to do some holiday shopping on a budget to avoid that January credit card hangover. Uh, John, Don, let's talk about a couple of really interesting articles you guys have in the walrus this week, beginning with COVID-19 and indoor air quality, because the pandemic has changed the way we think about indoor air quality. Don, there was a lot in this article. What jumped out to you? Well, you know, the thing that really surprised me, because we're looking at it three years in, right, is how much uh, we ignored uh, indoor health, indoor indoor air quality. Um, You know, many of the infectious disease experts and public health institutions were actually reluctant to acknowledge that the air in our buildings, you know, places where we're spending, you know, basically 90% of our time, maybe in actual fact, making us sick. All the emphasis was on the personal at that time, Dave, you know, Mm -hmm. the the six feet of separation and the individual masking and the individual like hand washing and stuff like that. But very little at that time, of course, it's changed, right? Uh, Was reflecting the, the, um, the problem with the, uh, air quality. Don, here's where I need your assistance in understanding some of the civil engineering in the article. How does <laughs> air typically circulate in a large building? Yeah, this was surprising. You know, it's it's very basic, uh, Dave, very simple stuff. In almost all older buildings, corridors are an integral part of the ventilation system. Slightly pressurized air is pumped into hallways lined with apartment doors, of course, and those doors have a gap of a centimeter or so at the bottom of each. Ideally, this is the way it's supposed to work, Dave, the air flows under the doors and into the apartments. Then fans in bathrooms and above stoves will pump it out. But in certain conditions, the air pressure in the halls falls below the levels in the apartments, meaning air from individual units flows back into the corridors and then, of course, potentially into other uh, uh, living spaces. And, of course, anybody that's, uh, you know, uh, smelled the curry wafting in from the next door neighbor uh, (laughs) realizes that this is the case and that airflow is not necessarily always going in the right direction. Then you add to that the the very basic thing like sealed windows, uh, which many of high rises have, and you have a distinct problem. My neighbor across the hallway is Mediterranean and she can cook whatever she wants and I will let all of it waft into my house because it is the best, the best. Uh, Don, I don't mean, I don't mean to, uh, to wander too far off the pathway here. So COVID-19 has changed the way we're looking at indoor air quality. So what's next? 
Well, basically, um, you know, without question, uh, we've learned a lot over the three years. Oh, boy, have we learned a lot. Oh, yeah. HEPA HEPA filters everywhere, Dawn. Just HEPA filters wherever you can put them. Yeah, I have mine. Um, And we've learned about the technical, the economic, and the social perspectives of this particular uh, situation. And we've come into a new era, basically, what they're saying, of public health regulations along the lines of those sparked by air and water quality crises crises in previous centuries, right? Um, So now, uh, for for instance, in future, in all multi-unit residential buildings, as well as factories, offices, uh, retailers, theaters, gyms, we should, and then of course this is all being put in place, right, uh, have to post an indoor air quality certificate and entrances modeled on the uh, green, yellow, red air quality certificates that, uh, Mm. that they do presently for hygiene, right? And so they're trying to get to this point. They're obviously working on it. Um, a rating assigned by building inspectors on a regular basis would be a good thing uh, to indicate whether the building's ventilation system is providing continually refreshed air uh, drawn from outside and passed through a high-grade HEPA filter. And of course, uh, you know, as we learned with schools, um, you know, schools were in dire dire shape um and and they brought in a, a a great many a great many of these hepa filters and whatnot to to improve the air quality within the school system don it's a really interesting story we hope that folks tune in to get the uh, full picture because we're just scratching the surface here there's a lot in this article it's an incredible one so we want folks yeah. to tune in this weekend 9 a.m eastern time on ami audio Don, this next story is one that really swims. It's about (laughs) why future parents are turning to social media platforms like Facebook Marketplace for for sperm donation. Don, why is this happening? This this blew me away. The statistics on this, of course, it's like anything. If you if you if you're not using the services, you don't really know. You know, it's just one of those things. And of course, uh, we're not using those services. But anyhow, Canada has just one operating sperm bank that recruits Canadian men. The Toronto Institute for Reproductive Medicine, known as ReproMed, uh, and the rest. Uh, Uh, most of their samples shipped in from the United States, where Canada has less oversight on screening. I was absolutely blown away by that. I mean, the fact that we only have the one, that's Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. something. Uh, so what's what's been changing from previous years? Like what's what's bringing on this maybe change to the social environment where people are saying, let's go crowdsource some sperm? <laughs> uh, well, about 20 years ago, those looking to start a family through alternative means had more choice. Canada had about 20 banks that collected sperm and about 100 that distributed it. But in 2000, Health Canada tightened uh, donor health screening requirements, making them among the most uh, rigorous in the world. Uh, This was done after a woman contracted HIV from a donor and another one was infected with chlamydia. From then on, semen had to be quarantined for 180 days and retested before use. And donors had to be tested twice six months apart. So things got very stringent, Dave. I think it's included in the answer you just gave me, but then why did sperm donations plummet? You mentioned that in the U.S., for example, that's where some of the sperm is being sourced from. They'll pay people for sperm donation in the U.S. Yeah, 
Yeah. And of course, Dave, we all know it all comes down to the almighty dollar. Of course. Uh, Canadian sperm banks, uh, Canadian sperm donors who once earned 50 to $100 per donation uh, now receive no payment whatsoever at all. They must endure num- numerous interviews, comprehensive medical exams, and multiple tests of blood and semen uh, before they can donate. They must also complete detailed questionnaires on their family medical history going back three generations. Oh, my gosh. I know. They can be reimbursed only for expenses associated with the actual donation, such as travel to the clinic or medications needed for the process. For the magazine. All of this. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Don. I'm, I, to be honest, Alex oh. Alex Smythe is sitting here in studio with me, and I'm just I'm turning my mic off and giggling with every answer because turns out, although I'm almost forty, I'm very immature. Well, no, that's perfectly all right, Dave. That's perfectly all right. So basically, when you add all these restrictions up and the amount of work that goes into it, you have to be hugely philanthropic and hugely kind mm. to even, you know, take into consideration that you're going to do all this to be able to donate, you know. So. Whereas it's much easier to move to the uh, white market or the black market of white market of Facebook marketplace and... Uh but then you're kind of rolling the dice in its own particular way. So I was looking into this, Don. I would be disqualified because albinism is genetic and we would be passed on uh, through my through my gametes. Ah. I would be disqualified from donating sperm in Canada. Oh, you're out of the picture, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got to go figure out other organic means. Uh, Don, thank you for this. I'm sorry that I'm so immature. <laughs> no, you're perfectly all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Don Dickinson, producer of Voices of the Walrus, which you can find weekends at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI Audio. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI TV. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.